The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. I'm Frank Benali. This is Klaus Lundekram. I'm Matt Letizier. Dean Hammond's here. And you're listening to In That Number. Here is Letizier. with me, Kevin, the Moscow Mush Milverton, and Ray Hunt. Find me on Twitter at Moscow Mush, and my co-host Ray Hunt at Ray Hunt 84 Follow the show at Number Podcasts on Twitter, in that Number Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you've got any questions for the show, if you can be bothered, send us an email to inthatnumberpodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Share, subscribe, and give us good vibes. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of In That Number. Proud to be a part of the Sports Social Network. This is episode 191. Uh, another week goes by and yet another loss to report. This time the short trip up the coast to Brighton where we went down 3-1. Uh, preparations have well and truly begun for next season's championship campaign, beginning with the near appointment of Russell Martin. Uh, and we can put this wreck of a season behind us and uh, just look ahead. Uh, we've got one more game to go over, and that's the home game against Liverpool. Uh, but with me, as always, is my counterpart, the long-suffering Moscow Mush, Kevin Milverton. How are you, Kevin? I'm all right, all things considered. Good. Yeah, it wasn't the result that we wanted at Brighton, but it was a marvellous day out, nevertheless. It was the result we expected, though, wasn't it? 
it was. But I mean, we we, we made it a good a good trip. Yeah, it was a good good day out on the, on the south coast. Never say no to Brighton away. No. Um. Yes, and we have a special guest this week. We're lucky enough to to welcome Daily Echo reporter Benji Nurek uh, to the show. So he's going to give us his thoughts on that Brighton game, uh, thoughts from the season in general, um, and we'll get some info on the imminent arrival of Russell Martin. Uh, so let's let's bring him in now then, Benji. Uh, welcome to In That Number. I hope you're doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Doing very well, um, despite obviously the season, but doing very well otherwise. Brilliant. I mean, as a reporter, it must be difficult to keep writing up these losses all the time. And uh, it's just been so little joy to report this season in general, hasn't there? Yeah, it's gotten very repetitive. I feel like it's gotten to a point where the issues are are, are pretty clear and we just keep repeating them and writing them over and over again because the team just can't figure out any possible way to solve them. So it has gotten a little a little dull, I guess, from that perspective. Well, I mean, hopefully next season, you know, with the, the, the I don't want to say easier opponents because, I mean, we lost to Grimsby this year. But, I mean, hopefully we'll have more uh, more positives to report on next season. I think it's I think there's a lot a good chance that it'll be a fun season for supporters next season, which is certainly deserved after the slog of the last few years. Absolutely. Yes. Um, And just quickly, a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, then please consider showing your support by visiting buymeacoffee.com forward slash in that number. Any donation will be greatly appreciated. Yes. Let's start with that most recent game, then Brighton. Another loss. Evan Ferguson with a first half double, followed by a tiny little bright spell from Saints. Elianusi got one back. Walcott got the leveller, but was ruled off for the slightest of offsides, only for Pascal Gross to wrap up the points and Brighton's European qualification. Kev, you managed to get a laugh out of Walcott after the game talking about that offside. <laughs> yeah, we, we decided to avoid the queue for the park and ride and hang around the stadium for a bit. So we saw the players slicking back out into the coach and... Um, it's fascinating to observe the players in their natural habitat, you know. And um, Walcott was like the the kit man. He was loading stuff on and off the uh, coach and hanging around there. So everyone was saying, shouting, "Now Theo, Theo!" And um, yeah, I, I said uh, he should get his toenails clipped next time. <laughs> and uh, he had a laugh about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's face it. He's like he's like a granddad now, isn't he, to all those players? So. Yeah, I know. He, he seems really, really well loved by the players. And um, uh, yeah, it'd be great if we could hang, hang on to him in some capacity. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. But yeah, um, Benji, first up, um, your your thoughts on Ruben Sayas's team selections this year, because they, they've been quite erratic since he's took over. Uh, and I mean, he stated on many times that the squad's too big uh, and, and that people have to miss out. I mean, do you think he knows his best 11? Yeah, I don't I don't think anyone has any clue what the best 11 for this squad could possibly be. And part of that is because of the massive size of the squad. We haven't seen so many of the potential combinations. We haven't seen so many of the potential options that could exist within this squad, because for much of the season, all three managers have clearly sort of gone with what they feel could be reliable and dependable rather than trying to go for more rather than trying to figure out a way to sort of create a team or an 11 that could could potentially actually attack other teams. And and, and I'm not going to say blow other teams away because I'm not, (laughs) I don't think that's necessarily a possibility for the Southampton squad, but at least try to do a little bit more than stay in games. And I think the, the remit has been very clear 
from Ruben as well as from the previous two managers where the people who are being picked are the players that he feels or, or the previous two managers feels they can rely upon not to make horrific mistakes and then cost them the game, which I don't feel is the right way to pick a team. I think it ha- is how Southampton have picked this team throughout the season. I think it's a big reason why they've gone down with such a dramatic whimper. Yeah, yeah, I, feel, I just feel like it's there's too many variables changing all the time. You know, the set piece mm. coaches go in and the goalkeeper situation as well moving around and it just... The, the signings being bled into the into the team there's been quite a lot of them this year well mm. what is it Kev 16 signings this year 16 that's the number I keep repeating on practically every podcast 16 new signings and yeah. none of them are any good okay well I'm Lavier and Alcaraz and yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I, get, I get you um yeah I mean there were some positives out of that match um the club tried their best to put a positive spin on it and uh Tino obviously coming back from injury um, saw a lot of reports saying it was uh, it was ironic. I don't see the irony in it. Um, maybe more just a coincidence. But it, yeah, it was great to see Tino uh, get back on the pitch, and uh, yeah, the away fans were all behind him. But we also uh, got the chance to see the likes, likes of youngsters Don Ballard and Kamari Doyle giving their debuts. Um, yeah, I mean, these are players that. I mean, this is the only exciting thing I think about the next season is that. We'll go back to that Southampton way, that famous brand of uh, bringing the youth players through. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll get to see a lot more of them next season. But, um, yeah, what, what do you make of the, the positives from, from that match, Benji? Yeah, I think you definitely highlighted a couple there. Tino obviously coming back is a, is a big positive for, for next season. I mean, obviously no one's really thinking about this season anymore, but... He has the potential to be the kind of player that can make such a massive difference in the championship, particularly with the added space you tend to get um, with, with the type of player that he is who can really maraud up and down that, 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 that flank and being so explosive if he does get that, that pace back. I thought he actually looked pretty quick, and that's, I think, probably the number one concern with an injury like this is that explosiveness from a dead start. And I thought that a couple of times Matoma tried to take him down the line and he actually managed to hold up, which is no easy feat against a player like Matoma. So I thought that was really promising to see with any luck. I mean, not having the injury being luck, but with any luck being out for a year will deter other clubs from trying to sign him in Southampton and at least keep him for the next season because he could be a massive player in the championship. And then, as you said, those two youngsters playing, it's supremely well-deserved that even if it's sort of a token opportunity because of the state of the season, it's definitely, I think, a deserved opportunity because they won the under-18s title last season. They've now gone one step further and gone promotion with the B team. So if they're not going to get an opportunity after that, then they're not going to get an opportunity at all. And you have to show that there's some sort of pathway, even if it is, as I said, these sort of token minutes at the end of the season. And with any luck next season, if they don't go on loan, there'll be some real opportunities for them. Raises the question of um, why they why they don't get a start. I mean, I'd, I'd be hoping to see them start against Liverpool because we've got nothing left to lose. Mm. No, no, and if I'm being honest, that, that is that's the only reason I'm going to that Liverpool game is because I want to see the likes of Ballard and Doyle start. I want to see them get more minutes and stuff. And the, the, that pathway that you've talked about, it, it's they are willing to give them a go at, in the Premier League. All right, okay, the season's dead, but still. If they can, you know, make a start against Liverpool and have a good season, and if we do get promotion, then you know, there's there is that pathway for them to to, to keep going in in the uh, Premier League. Hopefully, mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Um, we we also saw Alex McCarthy starting for the fifth game in a row 
Uh, he came in for Bazunu for the Bournemouth game and he, he, he hasn't really fared much better because he's conceded 13 goals in those five games. Uh, what's what's your take on the keeper situation? Because, you know, th- this has been going on for a while. We, we had McCarthy and Forster swapping roles last season and we kind of hoped Bazunu would come in and make that role his. He, he struggled in his first season. Um, and if we're going to mount a serious push next season, this needs to be addressed. Or, I mean, or is it, or is it the defence more so? Yeah, it's a very tough situation. I think that these these teams at the bottom, when you're when you're fighting to avoid relegation, the margins are so tight, and that both exists in terms of game to game margins as well as over the course of the season. And Southampton this season, I've I've written it multiple times. I don't think they're the worst group of players in the Premier League. I think amongst those 30 players, there is a group that is better than three other teams in this league. And whether that's just delusion from having watched Southampton every game and just knowing the squad better than other teams, perhaps it is. But it's a hill that I'm willing to die on. And I think that (laughs) what it comes down to is these fine margins in both boxes, the inability to finish chances from the one end. And I know that Shea Adams has probably been Southampton's best striker this season, which says a lot right there, because he's missed so many unbelievably good chances that you just can't afford to not be taking in the Premier League. And it's not only him. It's Adam Armstrong. It's the wingers as well, not even getting into positions to score. But still, you have to be able to take those chances because then that takes pressure off of the defense. It takes a little bit of pressure off the goalkeeper. But then at the other end, you have to be able to hold your nerve in the biggest moments. And that comes down to the defense. And that comes down to the goalkeeper. And I did think it was an almighty gamble to bring in a a, a 20-year-old goalkeeper last summer, as well as a 20-year-old center back in Armel Belakotep. And I think that's the thing that's sort of, for me, slightly gone under the radar a little bit, which is that all of last season, I feel like everyone was talking about how there was a lot of promise in this defense. You know, you've got guys like Kyle Walker-Peters, who's still young. Tino Livramento, obviously, until that injury, was looking like a brilliant player to rely on for the future. Mohamed Salisu, who in moments looked like a type of center back that could be sold for 40, 50 million a year or two down the line. So you had all these pieces of young, young defenders within that defensive unit that you thought you just need that leader to come in and sort of bring them all together. And instead, the club decided to get rid of the leader, Fraser Forster, and bring in two untested young players in Bazunu and Armel Belikovchuk. And Belikovchuk in particular, I think, is a supremely talented young player. But it's the makeup of that defense. It's the profiles of what you're trying to sort of bridge the the, the, the players together that I think they got all wrong. And Bazunu has been so far from good enough this season for me. He's made so many mistakes and mistakes that don't necessarily immediately look like mistakes. These things of parrying the ball back into the danger zone. It's just time and time again, you just can't have it in the Premier League. And I think that for me, he should have been dropped months and months and months ago. I think Southampton didn't have the situation where they could afford to keep allowing a goalkeeper to learn on the job. And I think Bazunu is a talented player. I love his mindset. I think he could do great things in the championship next season because he was excellent at League One level. But they just gave him way too many opportunities. And then by the time they took him out of the team, it was this bizarre thing where it was essentially too late. They brought in McCarthy, who had no time to, to, to sort of get up to speed. A goalkeeper who, let's be honest, we've been proven to see isn't good enough. They should have kept Fraser Forster. That was a mess, but they gave Alex McCarthy the contract way too early. They made that decision a year in advance when they really didn't need to. Fraser Forster was happy to stay and compete for that starting job with a young goalkeeper like Gavin Bazunu. Maybe they didn't want to pay his wages, but ultimately going getting relegated to the championship is going to cost a lot more. So yeah. it starts, I think, a year in advance, but that whole situation, I think, has been disastrously handled. 
Yeah, and I yeah. think that there's a lot of uh, like important anchors in that defence as well. Like Jack Stevens was able to go mm-hmm. out on loan to Bournemouth, and at the start of the season, Jan Bednarik obviously went to Aston Villa mm-hmm. as well. So that, that, that's another reason. And, you know, you've got players like Lianco who uh, are still settling into the Premier League, and as you say, Bella Kotchaps, Alisu. It's all young, and that, that goes back to the transfer policy again, doesn't it? Where it was just mm-hmm. a risk to bring in all those uh, young players. Yeah, I mean, we've got. Part of that transfer policy is that we signed three keepers this season of varying ages and pay grades, and we still ended up with Alex McCarthy, who, yeah, like we said, <laughs> is not really good enough. I mean, that first Brighton goal that you conceived, the Ferguson goal, and that, that should that was one that McCarthy should have really dealt with, mm-hmm. just yeah. going straight under his body like that, and, and it, it wasn't a particularly powerful shot. No, um, it was right at him, really, wasn't it? When you when you see it yeah. again. I mean, we've we've taken Bazuno out and replaced him with somebody who's arguably equally as bad. Yeah, but I mean, he couldn't have done anything with that second Ferguson goal. Though. That was just a that was just a good finish, a good ball from yeah, Toma across, and yeah, and a good touch. Torres just shreds the whole match. Right? <laughs> he always does. Yeah, the, the thing that I find particularly frustrating is that this this model of trying to build young i get it and i think that it can can potentially work incredibly well i think it's they see it as a market that's untapped in the sense that if you can get a player like romeo lavia of his quality for 12 million pounds you're not going to be able to get that quality of player for 12 million pounds if they're 5 years older that's just the reality of the situation mm. You have to be able to figure out the balance. And I think Brighton can be used as a as an example because what they've done is that they've done a similar model in the sense that they've scoured the globe for players who they feel other teams are scared to take a chance on. Guys like Facunda Buonanote, who I haven't even seen play enough, or Enciso, who started on the right. Young players, Matoma as well from the Japanese league, who other teams are scared to take a chance on because they haven't proven it in a European league. But at the same time, they've also brought in players like Adam Lalana. They're bringing in James Milner, guys who they refer to as coaches on the pitch, players who can sort of bridge all those young talents, bring them all together and create the kind of team environment that can help those guys flourish. And I think that's what Southampton completely overlooked this season. The fact that football is so much more than just gathering a bunch of assets and hoping that they can all thrive together. You need the players that can bring them all together. You need the players that can reverse momentum when it starts to go against you. And that's something that Southampton somehow completely ignored this season. And they paid the price for it. Yeah, I mean, you said about those coaches on the pitch, and the only the only players I can think of that fit that role are, are Prousey to a certain extent and Theo, and and that's it. I mean, we were crying out at the beginning of the season for uh, experienced defender, Premier League defenders like like Ben Mee and Tarkovsky from relegated Burnley, and watch you know them and similar players get snapped up by other teams. Yeah, I mean, the, the and the keeper situation. I mean, that's not again coming back to that. That's not ideal at all. Um, and the way we've seen Sales likes to play, if he's got a play style, it seems to be mm. master <laughs> back pass, if anything. Um, and yeah, when you get a back pass to McCarthy, I mean, it's brown trousers time for us. <laughs> season after season, screwing it up. Yeah, I mean, it was just there was just too much of that. I mean, we've we've seen it again and again this season. I mean, um, yeah, the Bournemouth game. I mean, it's oh god, I mean, it's just 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 dreadful to watch. Yeah, yeah. Tactically, Sayers is just—I don't know. It's just too many sideways, backwards passes, and then, you know, if if a team presses us, we make mistakes, and that happened in when Matoma hit the post, didn't he? Because we were—I yeah. think it was—was was it Bednarik that slipped? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. just seems to be part of his reflex just to slip on, slip on his batty sometimes. But um, 
Yeah, no, it's, it's a terrible mistake. I mean, the, the thing is, like, playing out from the back, uh, I keep, keep saying it, uh, the key word is out, not around <laughs> the back, playing it out from the back. And, yeah, by the time we've recycled the ball, um, yeah, Brighton, however we were playing, that seems to seem to get into position. We can't uh, mount a counter-attack fast enough. The players don't really seem to uh, want to play with the ball or off the ball. But that high press that we've been famed for under Ralph, it's just completely gone. They just don't want the ball at all. There was there was an early spell in the second half where we looked pretty good, though. I mean, it, but it's it's all too brief, minutes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Elianusi head up from the corner. Uh, and then we saw a little bit of confidence. And it just goes to show how much confidence can do because they seem to be winning those those second balls and, and getting the ball forward. And, and then that Walcott offside. I mean, Benji, what VAR, what were they thinking there? I mean... Surely, if it's level, then it should go to the you know benefit the doubts of the striker. Yeah, I've I've sadly stopped trying to wrap my head around VAR because it seems to be more and more illogical by the week. And if you're going to be killing emotion in football for VAR, they better at least be getting the decisions 100% correct. And what they found is that it's actually in football there's a lot of decisions that are far more subjective than than I think they were sort of anticipating. But that one, I mean, he looked on enough. I think it's crazy that we're disallowing goals when there's maybe a toe offside, maybe not even that, but at least there's no VAR in the championship. Yeah, and uh, yeah, well me, me and Kevin have actually been split on VAR because I'm, I'm all for it. I guess I still am. I, I'm just not a fan of how it's being used and the people that are operating it. Um, but yeah, like the decisions like that Walcott one, I'm, I am glad to be seeing the back of it uh, <laughs> uh, for, for a season and then just go on human error. But I, I do get the impression though that next season we're going to have those those decisions that go against us and then the fans are going to be wishing for VAR back. It's going to be like the um the Charlie Austin rant again. It's, <laughs> the yeah. championship referees leave quite a bit to be desired at times. Um, so, so do the VAR. <laughs> very true, very true. But back to the Brighton match. Uh, Pascal Gross putting finishing touches on a good win for them with, with an excellent goal. Arebo maybe not closing them down quick enough and getting punished. Yeah, I, 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 to me, Benji, it looks like Arebo was just, I don't know. I just don't think he's the right fit. I've seen far too many. I've not seen enough good things from him anyway. I think the, 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 the negative out is outweighing the positive for me with, with um, Arebo. Yeah, Arebo's, I think, a very interesting player because he's not the kind of player that necessarily can fit into a system. He's the kind of player where you you have the other 10 players as part of a system and his job is just to get into the right areas so that he can pull off his few moments of magic that he does have in his locker. And I think it worked quite well at times at Rangers because they were a dominant team in that division. So mm. the other 10 players could sort of do the rest of the job, do the hard yards, and he could just, as I said, be in the right positions to hopefully bring in a little bit of magic because he does have that in his locker. That's something I firmly believe. So I am intrigued to potentially see him in the championship because that is a situation where Saints will have a lot more of the ball, will be a lot more dominant in most games. So I'd be intrigued to see him. But at the same time, he is going to have to have mentally, he's going to have to have it for a 46-game hard slog of a championship season. And I think it's totally valid to question whether he has that in him. Well, it's not just me then. I mean, Kev, were you, have you been impressed with Arebo? Not at all. I think he's been uh, one of the biggest disappointments of the season. Um, Giving them that number seven shirt as well. Too much pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 <laughs> is yeah, insane. Yeah, I'm sorry, but there have been a lot of great players that have uh, 
on the London Seven shirt. Arena is definitely not one of them. <laughs> I assume you're you're counting Shane Long in that as well. Uh, Shane Long is top of that list. Lots of tears and Lambert. But yeah, yeah, it was. It was you have to say well done to Brighton, though. I suppose. I mean, they they have had a good season. They've got a decent manager and all that. And um, and Kev, you were mentioning when we were there that the fans were really great to us. Actually, I thought they were just being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes me laugh whenever people don't make out there's any kind of rivalry between us and Brighton because it's completely amiable. And uh, yeah, Brighton, I love Brighton as a city. Um, I, I like Brighton as a, as a club. I like the, the, the football they're playing. And uh, yeah, their, their fans are always really welcoming. So it's uh, yeah, favourite place to go uh, away. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's good. But um, Benji, I've been, I've been. Wow, look, looking at their like <laughs> their model that they've had this season, and I've been thinking about how it wasn't that long ago that we were like this. And mm. when you look at it, like I mean, we've won six games all season, which is dreadful, and, and no one expected a record like that. I mean, it's the worst top-flight season on record for us, and just a fall from grace. So I just want to know where has it all gone wrong? What 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 started this downward spiral? Yeah, it's it. I'm assuming it's a it's a much longer path than just over the last year because sure. as we know in football these things they don't happen with just one set of decisions it takes quite a few and I think in part it comes down to just something that's very difficult at this end of the table which is that you have to keep getting your decisions 100% correct and that doesn't obviously mean you have to get every single decision correct but you have to certainly get enough of the big ones correct and I think for example selling Danny Ings which I've no issue with because Danny Ings didn't really want to stay. It seemed like they got a good fee for a player who had injury problems and was was aging. I've no issue with that sale, but the failure to replace him since then mm. is certainly a contributing factor. And that's what I say they have to you have to get so many of the decisions right because that is a couple of decisions now attempting to replace Danny Ings that have each gone wrong. And if you don't have goals, it's incredibly difficult to get yourself out of trouble at this end of the table. And then at the same, the same point there really is that managers, you have to keep getting those decisions right. And obviously the managerial decisions this season, whether it was keeping Ralph to start the season, whether it was sacking Ralph right before the World Cup break, whether it was bringing Nathan Jones, whether it was just going with Sellers for the last 16 games, all those decisions have been wrong, or at least enough of those decisions Mm. have been wrong and it is hard at this end of the table because all these teams are going to look at their own squads and think we should be staying up Leicester fans are going to look at their squad and think we should be staying up Everton are going to look at the money they've spent in the last three or four years and think there's no way we should be going down Nottingham Forest with the spend expenditure that they've that they've done and obviously they are going to stay up or they have stayed up but all these clubs are going to think that they should be staying up and the reality is Three of them have to go down, so you have to keep getting these decisions 100% correct. And Southampton, unfortunately, have gotten too many of them wrong, particularly in this last year. They've also, I think, completely failed to sort of recognize how to build a squad. They've just sort of, as I said earlier, developed or, 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 or... brought together assets but they haven't figured out how to actually build a team build a squad and football is so difficult but like chelsea (laughs) exactly just like chelsea i think that it's a very accurate sort of comparison obviously chelsea have spent a lot more money but both have totally failed to realize that football you need to be able to build a squad rather than just bring in a bunch of talented players and both of those clubs have completely failed to do that Yes. And I mean, I, I'm I would say I've gone back um, looking back at where it where it could possibly go. Kev, you're enjoying this because I know you love well, you didn't really want Claude Puel to go. But you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going from playing at the San Siro to 
I don't mean any disrespect, to Home Park, Plymouth, within six seasons. Um, we had some fantastic recruitment then. We lost, even lost some key players, and we still came good. We had some smart operational decisions, which we haven't done this season. We had Pochettino and Koeman, where the football was fantastic. And then Kev Claude Buell come in, where the football wasn't so fluid. But he led us to eighth. eighth what I would it, give. Yeah, would eighth in the league and a League Cup <laughs> final. And then since he's gone, it's gone slowly downhill since we've had six managers in total since Peel. And again, Kev, you're like this. Not one of them has a better win percentage than him. Mm-hmm. And how much do you think? I mean, at that time we were saying it. I was I hated going to St. Mary's under Peel because I thought it was boring. But do you think, Benji, that we've been a victim of our own success? Because you, you do well, you get into Europe and then you feel like we should be aiming higher than him. And you kind of like sack a stable manager. And that's where it all starts to go. That's a tough question. I mean, I wasn't around during that that period, so I can only sort of look at it from afar. I think, though, that ultimately, if 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 people aren't enjoying going to the games, if it's becoming a slog, then at some point you have to look at other options. And whether it was the right decision or not, I think is almost determined by the next set of decisions. And had those next set of decisions been a lot better, then perhaps losing uh, losing Puel wasn't wouldn't have wouldn't be looked back on as being a potential mistake. But I mean, I know there were periods under Ralph where people were loving the football, where people really felt connected to the club, felt connected to the identity of the team. And in some ways, that might be more important than eighth versus 14th, when the reality of those two in some ways aren't that different if you aren't getting European football. So I think there is always in football a case of, you know, be careful what you wish for because things can always be worse. But on the other hand, if we're not going to dream in football, if we're not going to believe that things can get better, then I don't really know what the point of it all is. So I can sort of see yeah. both sides of the coin there. Yeah, um, but I get the recruitment has been poor really since then, but not, yeah, ju- yeah. not just the managers. It's been a large, mm-hmm. large majority of the players. Um, Carisho. Um, but... <laughs> I mean, under this current regime, it's hard to state one good thing that they've done since taking over, really. I mean, terrible transfer strategy. Nathan Jones coming in, I think, is is the massive disappointment. Well, probably the biggest error that they've made. Uh, trying to put that summer window right in the January one. And, you know, you look back at it now and you think it... I don't, know, I don't know if you mentioned this last week, Kev, but it's kind of like it looks when you look back at the January window, you think it was it, it cries of panic buying. I said it at the time that that yeah. Onoachu signing was absolute desperation. It seems like it. It seemed like they were just trying to please the fans, right? Because they needed that strike and needed to spend some money. So they have and they've wasted it. Um, yeah, OK, Lavi has worked out, Alcaraz too. But then you got Orsic, Onoachu, Suleiman, I haven't really worked. Uh, Orsic and Onuachi have, have been a disaster, really, and they, they've spent mm-hmm. how much money on them? I, but, I mean, Suleimano, I like him, but I just think, you know, you're seeing his minutes are mostly coming from the bench. I mean, is there anything good that, that, that they've done this season, really? I think I think there's a very clear sort of strategy for the club, which in some ways is a positive. Obviously, that can be looked at as a negative if the strategy is one you don't believe in. Um, they've definitely been happy to spend money, and I think that has to be looked at in the sort of the sad state of, mm. of modern football that is a positive because you do need to spend money if you want to be competitive. Even a club like Brighton, who obviously is 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 easy to look at following the game on, on at the weekend, even they spend money. They're they're going to spend thirty million on Zhao Pedro from Watford. So you do need to be able to spend money. You do need to be willing to spend money, and you do need to be willing to spend money without selling players. And that's something that Sport Republic have done. So I think they deserve genuine credit for that. 
On the other hand, obviously, they deserve an immense amount of, uh, of criticism for how they've spent that money, for the process of spending that money, for sort of the bungled approach to the, the, both those transfer windows. And I think that for me, they've gotten something incredibly wrong that you see a lot of clubs doing, which is that if you're going to spend $140 million, I have no issue with that. I see that as being a potential positive. But you can't then spend that on 14, 15 different players. You can't be only shopping in the 10 to 15 million price bracket mm. because then you're just taking on way too many gambles. And every single player you bring in is a gamble. But if you're bringing in 10 to 15 million players who are not the number of players, the, the price of those players yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, haven't, uh, who haven't really shown it at this level, you're bringing in way too many gambles. And I would have loved them to spend... 15 million on a few players and then be willing to push the boat out for 30, 35 million on players who you just feel are a little bit more of a certainty. And granted, those players could still go wrong, but you just have that little bit. You're shopping at a higher bracket. You're shopping yeah. with players with a little bit more pedigree. And then for Southampton, for, for Sport Republic to spend that big money on someone like Camel Dean, who I think is an exciting player, I think could be a very good player, but still is a player with no track record of success, just seems kind of crazy to me, particularly at that point in the season. I think a lot of their decisions, they've, they've maybe even made the right decision, but have gotten the timing of the decision wrong, which then leads to the wrong decision. Was it the wrong decision to sack Ralph? I think probably not, but they should have done it in the summer, in my opinion. Was it the wrong decision to bring in Nathan Jones? I honestly think he might have been the right manager, but probably not for that period when they needed a firefighter, not rather than a project yeah. builder. Nathan Jones could have been the right appointment in the summer. He could have been the right appointment this summer, but he wasn't the right appointment for that time. And I think you can say the same with a lot of their decisions. Definitely. I mean, they're, they're spending money and there's wasting money. And uh, Sport Republic have been wasting money. And we're seeing now that Sport Republic... Uh, um, grabbing hold of the reins and taking more control. So with them, with their central planning machine in charge, um, if this strategy continues, where do you see us in five years' time? Like, Do you see us getting out of the championship with that same strategy? Personally, I think Southampton have a very good chance to get out of the championship, whether it be next season or the season after, or even the next season. I think that amongst this group of 30 players, there is a, 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 a group of 15, 14, 13 players who who are very very good for the championship and obviously a bunch of players are going to leave whether it be due to bigger not bigger but clubs in the premier league coming for them or whether it be players who haven't had an opportunity this season who don't want to stay but i think there is a group of players there who are are above championship level now whether they have it in their hearts and in their heads that's another question and that's going to be determined ultimately by the season but Players like Samuel Adozi, players like even Joe Arebo, who we touched on. Charlie Alcaraz, I think, could be potentially one of the best players in the championship. Certain elements of that defense, Tino Libramento, even Gavin Bazunu. I think there are a lot of players in this squad who now, if you get the, the right players around them, can be the kind of players that can fire Southampton back up in their first season. Someone like Nathan Tella, even if he comes back into the squad. So I think that there is a lot of reason to believe that there are the right tools in this squad, the right players to potentially go back up in the first season. Now, they obviously have to get the managerial decision right. It looks like that's going to be Russell Martin. We'll have to see how that goes. And they have to get the right sort of... Um, the right sort of connecting players in. They have to get the right players to sort of bridge all those other players and, and, and curate the right kind of team environment 
curate the right kind of team that can actually attack a 46-game championship season. And if they can get that right, which obviously you're totally fair to be skeptical about Sport Republic's ability to do that, but if they can get those things right, then I see no reason why Southampton can't come back up in the first or second season. It's not the strongest championship it has been, I think, in the last sort of five or ten years. COVID has done a number on a lot of those clubs. Obviously, the teams coming down from the Premier League look pretty big this season. But I do think that there's reason to believe that they can come back up pretty quickly. <clears throat> yeah, the future then, speaking of it, uh, and, and Russell Martin. I want to talk about him for a bit because um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of people that don't know enough about him. So he's I coming... thought he was a chef. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... um. I can't remember his name. James, James Martin. Martin. James Martin, yeah. <laughs> um, coming in from Swansea then. Uh, l- large majority of the fan base are... I don't know, underwhelmed by the appointment. I mean, firstly, what's your opinion of him? It's an interesting one. I mean, in some ways, and I said it when the first link first, uh, first came out, he was a manager I was expecting them to look at for a long time because he fits with what Sport Republic are sort of looking for, which are these, these, these various data and metric, uh, metrics that, that stand out to them and things like expected goals created, things like touches in the box, things like, 10 plus pass sequences in a, in a row. Were they, were they looking at him after, sorry, were they looking at him after Ralph? I honestly have no idea. Um, I, I can't say. I wouldn't be surprised if they were. Um, at the same time, he hadn't, I think, at that point really managed much in the championship. So he, he, he might have been sort of a step below what they were looking at. But he fits a lot of what they, they were looking at when they appointed Nathan Jones. Um, and and that, people that, think that Nathan Jones is very... Best in that? Europe. But a lot of what Nathan Jones sort of stood out um, in terms of what Sport Republic were looking at is the same things that Russell Martin stands out for. And people think that Nathan Jones is sort of this incredibly direct long ball manager. And that isn't what he was at Luton. And that isn't what sort of he was brought in, I think, on the back of. And Russell Martin is very much he, he follows a school of thought of Pep Guardiola, Barcelona, that kind of idealistic football where you're trying to create the perfect goal essentially and it hasn't any goal will do i mean (laughs) that's how i feel about football that's my view that you should just try to be getting it in the back of the net rather than trying to be getting in the back of the net perfectly but russell martin has a very clear philosophy he wants his teams on the ball as much as possible he wants his teams passing the ball as much as possible he wants his team to have 60 plus percent possession of the ball and i think it can be a lot of fun to watch if it gets going it's probably not my type of football if i'm being honest but my type of football is whatever wins so if it wins then Mm. all the power to him um my fear is that it hasn't won so far at mk dons they didn't get the the success they wanted after spending a decent chunk of money at swansea a lot of the fans I've seen have been actually pretty optimistic or, or pretty happy with what he's done at Swansea, a lot of the Swansea fans. So that leads me to be a lot more optimistic. But the fact is he went on about a 23 run, a 23 game run where they won two out of those 23 or whatever. And at a club like Southampton, that's just not going to stand at a club going for a promotion. That's probably going to lead to him being sacked. So I would say that the fans probably are going to have to be very patient. His brand of football takes a lot of time to actually get get working. And if fans aren't willing to be patient, then I think it could probably combust pretty quickly. Well, he's definitely got his work cut out, especially seeing as the Sport Republic have um, set us up with uh, an extremely bloated squad, which means that we're going to have to say goodbye to a lot of players. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, biggest question mark is going to be James Ward-Prowse, whether or not he stays. I mean, I think the chances are quite slim to keep him. Uh, it was more of a question of where he goes, but um, if we can 
uh, keep hold of any of uh, Romeo Lavia, Carl Walker Peters, Roman Perot, Salisu, Bella Kotchap, um, even Walker. I mean, do you think we've got a realistic chance of keeping any of those? I think that most are probably going to go. Um, but also, if most do go, then the club is going to be bringing in a ton of money, especially for the championship level. And with their already demonstrated willingness to spend money, I think that some of it could end up being a blessing in disguise where you've got a real opportunity to rebuild the squad at a level where recruitment isn't easier, but the doors of recruitment are slightly more open because you can recruit from the Premier League, you can bring in young players on loan from the Premier League, you can then also recruit from the Championship with the with the obvious, um, the obvious aim of going back up. So I think that most of those guys probably will leave. I'm hoping that Charlie Alcaraz will stay because he's the kind of player that, that, that needs more development. And I think that the championship will do him a world of good because he'll get on the ball a ton. He'll have a lot of opportunity to shoot. He'll have a lot of opportunity to sort of figure out his passing, which I think still needs a little bit of work. But at the same time, if I'm a club like Brighton and I look at Charlie Alcaraz, I'd be totally happy to spend 18, 20 million on him and think that we're just going to develop and develop him. So I would hope that he stays. I think Lavia is probably a dead certainty to leave. I think Ward Prowse, unless he chooses to stay or unless the opportunity doesn't really come up for him to go. I mean, clubs like West Ham, I'm sure, will be in for him. But does he want to leave Southampton for a club like West Ham? That'll have to be his decision. But Danny Ings did. Danny Ings did. Well, and I think that to me, it doesn't seem worth it to ruin your legacy at a club. At, at Jose Font did as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, that'll be his choice. But either way, I think that there's a lot of money and a lot of a lot of players still staying, whether, whether whoever those are, that means that you can rebuild the squad in a pretty exciting way. Uh, what about what about Chai Adams? I I think 50-50 is probably what I would say. Oh. I'm pretty sure clubs will come in for him in the Premier League. I think whichever one of Everton, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, well, Nottingham Forest already stayed up, but whichever one of those other ones stays up as well, I think will come in for him. And ultimately, it'll be, I guess, about whether he wants to say, I think he'd enjoy, enjoy a year in the championship. Does he really love playing in the Premier League and scoring four to six goals a season? It doesn't seem that fun for a striker. <laughs> so I think he'd enjoy the championship. But obviously, that 40% yeah. wage cut is going to hit a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I mean, we've got players uh, like him and Armstrong who were proven goal scorers in the championship. Mm-hmm. For them to go there and potentially be part of a promotion season, that's something that I'm quite excited about. Well, mm. hopefully, yeah. And then, you know, Nathan Teller as well. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he did well in the championship, obviously. And uh, Will Smallbone, we haven't really talked about Smallbone. And mm-hmm. uh, are they expected to return from their loan spells? And are yeah, they going ha- yeah, to have a key role? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the Nathan Teller one is very interesting because on the one hand, having such a great loan is in some ways been detrimental because it might mean that he now might want to leave, join Burnley permanently, whatever. But at the other hand, it's obviously a positive for Southampton, whatever happens, because they can either get a pretty big fee for him or he can stay and has already proven that he's an unbelievably quality championship player. I think that it'll be interesting to see if Burnley are willing to spend the money on a player who hasn't proven it in the Premier League because the money will be, I'm sure, $20 plus. And are Burnley going to be willing to put that aside for Nathan Tella considering that he hasn't actually ever done it in the Premier League. On the other hand, if I was Southampton, I would say, Nathan, 
we understand if you do want to leave, because it's totally understandable if he wants to stay at Burnley and play in the Premier League. But unless they stump up the $25 million, you're a Southampton player and you're going to stay and we're going to do everything we can to make you an incredibly vital part of this team. We're going to make this a club that you want to be at. And I think that you can present a project to him where he would be willing or happy to stay. And at that point, if he's playing regular football, if he's playing regular football and starring for his for a team that he's obviously been at for a long time at Southampton, then I think he could be an incredibly vital player. So I would I would be unwilling to take a cut price deal. I would say if you're unwilling, Burnley, to pay the 23, 25 million pounds for him, then he's a Southampton player and we're going to keep him because he's the kind of player that can be the difference maker in the championship. Yeah, I don't... I, I'm, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I was getting quite frustrated with him uh, last season for us. I just think that he, he had the chances. He didn't really take them well. But then again, the whole team wasn't wasn't performing that well. And he went down to, to Burnley and I refused to, to, to say like... All of a sudden, boom! He's just—it's just clicked for him, and he's—he's he's just become that great player. It's obviously the drop from the Premier League to the Championship that's made that difference, and I don't think he's going to have a season uh, like that if he—if he was to go to Burnley. But I kind of—I really, really want him to do well here, and I want—I want him to be that, that key thing that pushes us up next season. I really mm-hmm. want him to be a part of it. One of no. the victims of this recruitment policy, hasn't he? Because I mean. We saw it in past seasons, like towards the end of the season, when everyone's heads on the beach, we'd see a few of these players coming through. I mean, this season, it's Ballard and Doyle. But they're not getting close to enough minutes because of mm. the ridiculous size of our squad. Mm-hmm. So if we shed a lot of the dead weight, then, yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have an environment for Teller to thrive and at the same time see, see some of the younger players coming through. Um, I mean, there, there is a bit of news of the shake-up of the board. And, um, yeah, Martin Simmons, that's the news that's come out this week, that he's departed as CEO. And um, Sport Republic, yeah, they're, they're taking full control of all the operations. Drag, I'm sure, like he's now chairman, is that right? And um, mm. uh, Rasmus Ankersen is going to be uh, CEO, or, or is it Henrik Kraft? Fuck me. Uh, no, Rasmus Ankerson, CEO of Sport Republic, yeah, and Henrik Kraft will be the chairman of the club. So, yeah, I mean, we're seeing it throughout the season that um, more and more of the key players are leaving and it's leaving more and more power and control of the Sport Republic. I'm not particularly confident in uh, their, their ability to deliver a sustainable uh, football strategy. But, I mean, yeah, what do you think of it, Benji? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it was no... Major surprise to see Martin Simmons leaving just because, as you said, the exodus of the staff who were already present before Sport Republic, he was kind of one of the last major links. And I think his influence has been less than what I think he probably thought it was going to be. I think his influence has been less than probably what it was sort of stated it would be when he came. That's more speculation than fact, but that's sort of what I, I think has been the case. Um, and so no real shock to see him go. I think Martin, I don't know him really as a person, um, but it, it, he did a good job for what his job was. His job was to keep Southampton in the Premier League with a very tight budget alongside Ralph Hasenudel, and they did it for a number of years. And then his job was to find a sale that made sense for the owner and for the club. And I think he's done that as well in that Sport Republic ticked all the boxes in, in sort of on paper for what Southampton were going to be looking for for a new owner. And so I think he deserves a lot of credit for that sale as well, even if it's obviously the first year of Sport Republic has been disastrous. Now the focus obviously shifts 
fully to support Republic because they're choosing to take more of a hands-on approach. They're choosing to take control. And with that is going to come, obviously, either the criticism that failure brings or the credit that success brings. And I'm not overly optimistic because obviously, as we've touched on, their, their decisions over the past year and a half have been borderline disastrous. So it's hard to be overly optimistic about it. But at the same time, they, 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 they are the ones putting in the money. So I guess you kind of have to say they're, they're, it's up to them to make these decisions. I find that a little bit hard to sort of, I don't know. I find that a little bit hard to accept when I think a football club isn't the owners. Obviously, they own it, but I, a football club is so much more than that. So if they do start making continuously bad decisions, it's going to be hard, I think, for fans to continue to just accept that they get to make these decisions by, by virtue of owning the club and by virtue of spending a lot of money. Mm. The one thing that I didn't like was the fact that it was with immediate effect. Like, mm-hmm. why why couldn't they let Semis <clears throat> continue to the end of the season? Like, I mean, Toby Steele is is been like gradually phased out, but why did it have to be right? I, did, I, I just wanted to be like a fly in that boardroom there, like how that mm-hmm. how that went down. I can't imagine it was very uh, amicable. I think it's probably been many many months in the making, and sort of I think what happens a lot of times at this stage of of the season or when a season when a season fails so dramatically is that it leads to a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame being laid on various people and people not wanting to take blame themselves. And I think that in some ways, Martin looks to me a little bit like a scapegoat. Um, mm. I think it's probably not. I, I mean, I don't know if fans are necessarily seeing it that way. And maybe it's not 100 percent that way. But that's sort of how it looks to me from afar. I think it's very easy. I mean, the, the last two weeks has been just finger pointing galore from everyone seemingly involved in the club. And whether it be from sort of media outlets, including myself, choosing who to blame, whether it be the board clearly deciding that they want to lay some of the blame, at least uh, on Martin Simmons, whether it be whatever, the fans blaming whoever, blaming the players, blaming the ownership. I think it's just, it, it, it lends itself uh, a failure like this to a lot of somewhat ugly finger pointing where none of us fully know what the situation is. And I think that it's it's good for it's good for the owners probably to have some sort of scapegoat and I guess Martin Simmons is a pretty easy one considering that he uh, he isn't in their clique. <laughs> yeah. Can I can I put a conspiracy theory out there? Oh, I love it. Go on. Um, well, we had the period of the the two Ralphs, and obviously that was uh, proven that the club was uh, wasn't big enough for two Ralphs. Uh, maybe there's disagreement over the the appointment of Russell Martin and uh, <laughs> uh, isn't big enough for two Martins. <laughs> I mean, it can't be a coincidence that it's happening at the same time as we're appointing a new manager that he's left. <laughs> yeah, I, I think mean, I think it is. <laughs> I, I I do actually think it is. I think there's been some issues. <laughs> Conspiracy with... theory. Come on. <laughs> well, I should be right. I honestly don't know for a fact. But Take it to Twitter, Kev. They'll love it. They'll lap it up. <laughs> that's, a, that's perfect Twitter. Uh, the, uh, the forums yeah. will love that. Um, yeah. But I think that there's been some issues previously with sort of how the managerial decisions have come. I think that Martin Simmons was a big believer in keeping Ralph on in the summer, whereas I think Sport Republic were, were more happy to let him go. And I think that Sport Republic were – where Rasmus especially was the driving force behind hiring Nathan Jones. And I don't know what Martin Simmons' opinion on that was, but you can certainly understand if his opinion wasn't as pro- as positive on that. <laughs> um, right, just a couple more things, and, and then we'll let you go. I just want to talk about Liverpool quickly. Um, mm-hmm. 
do do we expect another shuffled team you know with a scattering of youth coming off the bench again just like at Brighton um because I mean Kev's been saying for weeks that he's convinced that Saints are going to beat Liverpool you know he said that they'll play with a little bit of freedom that it it will be a dead rubber they they ain't going to get into Europe or the Champions League we're not going to get safe from the Premier League um so we're just going to go all out of it all out for the win I've got no idea how he feels now but I mean how, how do you see this game Benji? Yeah, unfortunately, I've, I've kind of stopped believing in this team. And uh, <laughs> it's taken a long time because I think I believed in them all the way up until maybe Bournemouth. But at this point, I find it hard to believe that they're going to somehow uh, turn up because they haven't done it for so many weeks now. So many months now, I think is probably more accurate. But, yeah, Leicester was uh, the last win, wasn't it? Yeah, and even that was a little touch and go. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to share your optimism. I mean, I do think there's talented players in this team, so... With that freedom, you'd hope that they can turn up. I mean, they didn't really do it against Brighton, at least not for the first half. But I guess you could say Brighton had a lot to play for, trying to confirm their European uh, your, their European uh, place. I don't actually know where Liverpool are right now or what they have to play for. I haven't been paying quite enough attention to them since, uh, or, or at any point this season. But I'd like to believe that could be true. Send the Premier League off with some sort of bang. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, li- Liverpool, Liverpool are fifth. How- yeah, it depends on how United fare against Chelsea, because if United pick up a point, then um, Liverpool are going to be cemented in fifth place. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. United are three ahead with a game in hand, I believe, aren't they? So, yeah. Um, Benji, uh, prediction, score prediction. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go, wow, this is tough. I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. Um, oh, we score. Southampton take the take the lead and a little bit of a shock in the opening few minutes, and then Liverpool kind of restore a little bit of balance. Um, I do think in terms of team selection, because I know you mentioned that a moment ago, I'd be surprised if any of Cammy Doyle, Dom Ballard, or Tino Livermento starts. I think they'll all probably start on the bench and with any luck come on in the second half. I'd love to be wrong about that. I think Cammy Doyle looks most physically ready. Obviously, Tino Livermento is, is, is a different story entirely, but I sort, sort of of Ballard and Doyle, I think Doyle looks the most physically ready. So I'd love to see him start. I can't say I'm that optimistic that'll happen, but we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm going 3-0 Liverpool. I'm like you, uh, Benji. I don't see us even scoring or turning up for that matter. I just think they just they want to get the season over and done with. They'll say goodbye to James Will Prowse and the rest, and it will be a complete miserable day. Uh, Kevin, are you still optimistic? I'm really dying to know your prediction. Ah, oh, fuck me. No, I'm, I'm, I haven't been optimistic for a long period in this season. But I did say that if this game was a dead rubber, that the, um, the players might just, have, with the pressure off, they might actually achieve something. I still don't think we'll beat Liverpool, even if Liverpool uh, have nothing to play for. But I'm going to predict a draw. Let's wow. go for a one-off. I'll take that. I would really <laughs> take that. And, and uh, Ballard off the bench to score. That would be nice. Love it. Um, Fancy freak. Oh yes, of course. We need to get that. We need to oh, get yeah. that record, don't we? Yeah. Um, Benji, I just got three questions for you. Just one-word yeah. answers. Um, if Ralph stayed, would we be in the Premier League? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, player of the season? Uh, Lavia by default. Okay. Uh, and where do we finish next season? Uh, third and up through the playoffs. Oh. Oh, okay. That is optimistic. I like it. Uh, Benji, we're going to let you go because we've taken up so much of your time. Um, at, yeah, and, you know, you, you've got a busy schedule. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming on and, and, and chatting to us today. It's been my pleasure, truly. It's been very yeah. enjoyable. <laughs> it's, it's definitely our pleasure. But, I mean, we've had a miserable season and it's been mighty tough for us reporting on these matches for a while. So I imagine it's, 
you know, 10 times as hard for you. So, yeah, but, but thanks. Thanks for coming on. Well, as I always say, at least I don't actually pay to go to the matches. I, the people I really feel for is all of you. <laughs> yeah. Give up your weekends and give up all your time and money to go watch what inevitably ends up being another defeat. So I think I have by far the easier job <laughs> than all of your fans, but I appreciate it anyways. Suckers, aren't we? Uh. <laughs> I always yeah. said that we should, we should get paid to watch them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you'll, too. you'll be rewarded hopefully with a great season in the championship a lot of goals and a lot of wins I bloody hope so uh, yeah we need it anyway yeah thanks Benji um, and hopefully speak to you soon fantastic thanks again for having me our yeah, pleasure right, cheers up the Saints up the Saints okay yeah thank you once again to Benji uh Great, yeah, love. You were just saying, Kev, you love his energy. It's um, yeah, it's great. We need that positivity, don't we? Yeah, we do. We definitely do. I'd love to sit and watch a game with him. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Um, Super Six, yes, uh, Super Six. Round fifty six was won by Tom Hennigan with twelve points. Uh, the overall lead, not long to go now. Jason Braga- Jason Braganza has four hundred and eighty eight points. Kevin, again, there's not long to go. Fantasy football. Am I ever going to get off that bottom? Um, who's bottom? <laughs> Well, um, uh, we did meet up with him, didn't you, at the match? Jacob Tanswell. Oh, is he bottom, is he? He is joint bottom with you. You both achieved 37 points. So you've had the identical uh, weeks. You're on 2,021 points each. Sorry, so it's a ding-dong battle Oh, there. wow. 2021, eh? Yeah. I also uh, got... More points than you this week. Yeah, that wasn't easy as uh, so far. I've only got 31 points. Uh, the reels have really come off the bus this uh, this season for me. I've just um, been making some ridiculous decisions, uh, bringing in Undev and making him uh, vice captain, not foreseeing that Haaland would be benched uh, as the City prepare for a Champions League final. Uh, yeah, that lack of foresight has cost me. Um, well, he um, could come on against Brighton. <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt it. I don't care. Yeah, he only. Uh, I captained him as well, Kev, and I, I've got uh, Brian and Burma on the bench. So, oh, well, that's a good time. Yeah. No, he's on the bench. So, uh, Jolinson will come out, and mm. Burma will come in. So, yeah, that's going to get me sixteen more points. Yeah, um, I am. I'm amazingly fourth in our Bodies League. Fuck my style. Uh, yeah, I'm like the sort of Liverpool of our league. I'm sort of just away from those top places and I've got enough of a, a pocket that nobody's threatening me from below. Uh, top three is still the same. All of those houses and our very own Tim Byzance, T. Bizzle is third. Uh, in the big league, um, I wouldn't say it's the top three, but uh, Lucy Hynat's being picked to third place by Dan Buck. And hey. fabulous. Yeah, nice one, Danny. Uh, I think Marley um, probably has got this one wrapped up, but Chris Ambridge is only four points behind in second, so it would be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm looking at our positions. Uh, fucking, can I find myself? I'm 46. I'm 79th. T-Bizzle's 24th. Wow. I did move up this week, though, so mm. it's, not, it's not over yeah. yet. Um, just like with this season, I'm quite happy for the season to move on. Um, there, there was a cup in our league, and I lost in the quarterfinals to Nick Green. And in our Podders League, uh, I lost to Harry Tizard in the quarterfinal. Oh, uh, Tim beat Jacob Tanswell. Yeah, I beat, <laughs> I beat you in the previous round. But, yeah, all right, uh, fuck off. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to end the show with a Where Am I, as usual. 
Um, are, um, are you up for this one? Yeah, I'm up like an inflatable turd. An inflatable turd. Yeah, what happened to that turd? We lost it. We even lost the shit. We lost our shit at uh, the Amex. There, yeah. There is, I saw it on Twitter afterwards. I think one of the um, uh, Total Saints podcasters. It's James Glenn Delacour, I think, said it. No, um, uh, yeah. One, yeah, one of the TSP uh, podcasters put out and said it was a good uh, metaphor for our season. It's true. I think that's why it was why it was brought in. Do you think? Uh, I don't. Where where does the um, the chant "We want our ship back" fit into the metaphor of our season? Hmm. I don't. I don't want any of that ship back. <laughs> I'm so happy for it to just lie at the bottom of the of the stand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay. So clue number one for five points. This stadium <laughs> is located 150 miles from Southampton, from St Mary's. Ooh. Are we a bit short of that Lancaster Yorkshire corridor? Uh, I think we are. Uh, it's going to be somewhere in the Midlands, isn't it? Um, are you at St Andrews? I am not. No. Uh, clue two for four points. I'm 165 miles south of, Ma- uh, of Manchester, Old Trafford. Fucking hell. Yes, yeah, uh, this is going to stump you. Are you at the Liberty Stadium? Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically I'm not because it's not called the Liberty Stadium anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> Swansea City Community Femidon Stadium. <laughs> Swansea.com, actually. It's the Swansea... The Swansea.com Stadium? Yeah, I'm guessing it's the... That's the most unnecessary... No, um, but it's like, the, like Visit Swansea yeah. kind of thing. It's the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tourist board. Yes, it's the tourist board stadium so yeah swansea.com stadium um but yeah uh well done yeah like southampton it's a coastal city i thought that would have thrown you because you thought you were 150 miles north of st mary's we're 165 miles south of old trafford and we're a yeah, coastal it's city it's either I east thought, or west yeah hey jesus but yeah and currently competing in the championship and we're about to rob their manager which is why i uh, i did it it was a little nod to russell martin uh second largest city in wales it is of course swansea so yeah well done kev you're a bastard yeah, um, I think that's brilliant. Naming the the biggest tourist attraction in the city after the tourist board. Um, yeah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is Wales. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, next week the, uh, the visit Wrexham Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, we'll, we'll go over the final game of the season at home to Liverpool. Uh, and then we'll award our player and goal of the month for May. Uh, and the week after, we shall do our final end of the season shitners. That should be a fun one this year, Kev. Just oh. one big shitner. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and until up. then, up the Saints. Up the Saints. Up the Saints. Open at Southampton. I didn't get my pun in Brighton's European campaign that they they totally deserved it. What was your pun? Deserve it. Oh, I didn't even get that. Sorry. (laughs) See, there's another shit one. Sports Social Podcast Network.